This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome into Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Thursdays. Happy Leap Day, February 29th to all of you across this nation and around the world, wherever you're watching or listening. We got a lot of topics to run into. College football leaders float the idea of a 14-team playoff. I think it's a disaster. I'll explain why. Dalton Connect goes off last night in an incredibly entertaining Auburn against Tennessee basketball game. An NFL draftee says that he doesn't believe in the planets or space. Um, intriguing perspective. Does that make him undraftable? Mark Cuban upset about all the free speech that exists right now on Twitter. Trump election season, I've been telling you how I thought it was going to shake out. Huge win for him. Uh, And why in the world do we make February the host of our Leap Day? I'm going to tee off on this, but we begin with the college football playoff. I've been telling you what I think about the college football playoff for some time. I am a big fan of the college football playoff. I would like to see as many teams as possible in the college football playoff, 14, 16, 18, whatever the number is that makes sense. But I don't want there to be teams that have no basis to be in the playoff. And yesterday afternoon, evening, they floated a story through Yahoo and through ESPN saying, hey, we're thinking about a 14-team playoff that would include three automatic SEC bids, three automatic Big Ten bids, two automatic Big 12, and two automatic ACC bids. To me, this is dead on arrival. Uh, And by the way, that is, what is the math on that? Ten, and then there would be four other bids, one group of five, one that would be open theoretically for Notre Dame if they were in the top 14, and then two other at-large teams. No, no, no. This is not good, all right? The SEC and the Big Ten, given their size and given the quality of their teams, I'm not great at math all the time, but I believe there are 34 teams starting next season in the SEC and the Big Ten. And of those 34 teams, probably 20 are of the biggest and best programs in college football. I don't think that's an exaggeration at all right? Of the 34 teams in the SEC and the Big Ten starting next year, 20 of them are among the 25 best programs in college football. And some of you out there might be saying, what are you talking about, Clay? No, I think that's probably true. Think about it. What teams are top 25 programs right now that aren't in the Big Ten or the SEC? Okay. Um, Maybe you can make an argument Certainly you can. Florida State and Clemson, right? Florida State and Clemson in the SEC are top 25 programs. Notre Dame is a top 25 program. 
Who else? Who else can you definitively say, boy, those teams are top 25 programs? Colorado's not a top 25 program. Arizona's not a top 25 program. Maybe Utah has been a top 25 program. It's hard to even come up with five teams outside of the SEC and the Big Ten right now that are top 25 programs. I'll give you Florida State. I'll give you Clemson. I'll give you Notre Dame. I don't think anybody else is. That's not to say other teams, maybe Miami, that can cycle up. But I'm talking about over the last decade, would you say North Carolina is a top 25 program? I wouldn't. Would you say Colorado is? I wouldn't. Would you say Arizona is? I wouldn't. Would you say Oklahoma State is? Maybe. Would you say maybe TCU, but probably not because they've only been good for the last really couple of years? My point on this is it's absolutely bonkers to give the ACC two teams and to give the Big 12 two teams that automatically get into the playoff. I think most years, there's a very good chance that those two conferences would not have four teams in the top 14 college football playoff rankings. I mean, would you disagree with me on that? I I think most years, I understand why the ACC and the Big 12 would be sprinting to get a deal like this. I think it's a fabulous deal for them. I think it's an awful deal for the SEC and the Big Ten. Put it this way. How much harder is it to be a top three team in the SEC or the Big Ten than to be a top two team in the ACC or the Big 12? No contest. It's way easier to be top two in the Big 12 or in the ACC than it is to be top three in the SEC. So this is an awful idea. And I don't know whether this is floated to potentially kill the 14-team playoff. It's an awful idea. And I think most of you out there agree with me. To me, at minimum, the SEC and the uh, Big Ten should get about two-thirds of all playoff uh, spots, right? So if we're going to have a... a, Uh, 14-team playoff, to me, the SEC and the Big Ten should get nine or ten of those spots. I don't think that's crazy at all. I think the Big 12 and the ACC are fortunate to be guaranteed one. And I think the Power Five is fortunate to be guaranteed one. And I think Notre Dame only having to be in the top 14 is not that high of a standard to get Notre Dame guaranteed. So I don't know who came up with this idea, but I think it is awful. And I think college football fans overwhelmingly agree with me and are rejecting this in general. My position from the straightforward uh, straightforward has been for some time, just take the top 12 in the college football playoffs. Just take the top 14 in the college football playoff. Just take the top 16 in the college football playoff. I don't know why the group of five has to be guaranteed a spot. If you can't make the top 12 or the top 14 or the top 16, Why do you deserve a playoff spot? I mean, honestly, I I don't understand this discussion. That seems very fair to me. We're going to take the top 12, the top 14, the top 16 in order, 
However many come from the SEC, that's fine. However many come from the Big Ten, that's fine. ACC, Big 12, Notre Dame, power, non-Power 5 conference, take them in order. If you're going to guarantee spots, though, the Big Ten and the SEC should get way more guaranteed spots than the Big 12 and the ACC. This is a no-brainer. Last night, phenomenal game. I watched a lot of college basketball. Those of you who follow me know I like college basketball. If I were ranking my favorite sports right now, college football is my favorite. NFL is my second favorite. College basketball is probably my third favorite. Um, And then probably Major League Baseball. That's probably the way I would rank my four favorite sports right now. Uh, if I had to rank them in order, baseball surged of late. I've always liked college basketball. The NBA has fallen. I used to like the NBA a lot more than I do now. Uh, but college basketball to me is really about a six-week sport. When the NFL ends, I pivot and suddenly watch college basketball almost nonstop all the way through the NCAA tournament through early April when we crown a champ. Then obviously we got the Masters coming on. That's a lot of fun. Um But last night, Dalton Connect had one of the best games that I have ever seen a college basketball player have. 39 points, 12 of 21 from the floor, 5 of 8 from 3. He did it all. Made outside shots, took the ball inside, made mid-range jumpers, finished at the rim with his right and left hands, dunked the basketball. Uh, He put... Tennessee on his shoulders in the final 12 minutes of the game in Knoxville. Dalton Connect had 25 points. All of Auburn had 21. I've never seen in a modern era someone take over a college basketball game like that. There have been people who scored more points. I don't remember in a 12-minute span 25 points being scored and one guy outscoring the whole other team by himself, despite the fact that they were throwing two and three defenders at him, just saying we got to have somebody else beat us. I think Dalton Connect is the best player in college basketball this year. I understand Zach Eady is probably going to win it for Purdue. Big man, 7-4, dominant force inside. I understand that he's probably going to win it. I think Dalton Connect is, however, the best player. Auburn's a top five defensive team. If I'm an Auburn fan, I watch that game. You score 84 points. You played really well on the road. You fought back from a nine-point deficit, took an eight-point lead, then gave it up late. Uh, I look at that and say, we just got beat by a better player. Dalton Connect put Tennessee on his shoulders, won that game. As a result, we got a big game coming up on Saturday. Tennessee's going to go to Alabama. South Carolina gets a big win over a collapsing Texas A&M team. Alabama goes on the road, bounces back after giving up 117 to Kentucky. Uh, Shepard hits a big runner. Uh, This was on Tuesday, but against Mississippi State. Going to be an exciting SEC basketball tournament. And this is one thing that I do believe SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey deserves a lot of credit for. When he took over, there were three teams making the college basketball NCAA tournament in the SEC. This year, there's going to be seven, eight, maybe if everything went perfect down the stretch, nine. Um, teams making the college basketball tournament from the SEC with Oklahoma and Texas joining the conference next year, it's not crazy. You can argue that potentially the SEC could be the best conference for college basketball for men uh, in the entire country, which is 
out of nowhere relative to where they were when they started. I said this a while back, and people were like, what about Chris Lofton? What about Bernard King? I didn't watch Bernard King play. I didn't watch Ernie Grunfeld play. The best offensive playmakers that I have ever seen at Tennessee, Chris Lofton, Dalton Connect, and Allen Houston. I think Dalton Connect right now is the best offensive playmaker that Tennessee basketball has ever had. Not the best necessarily all-around player, not the best shooter, but the best scorer at three different positions outside, mid-range, and at the rim. Dalton Connect with his size and his ability to finish and his shooting touch from outside, I think he's the best offensive playmaker I have ever seen with the Tennessee men's basketball team. Mark Cuban, guys. My good friend Mark Cuban sold the Dallas Mavericks. Mark Cuban running around saying, oh my goodness, the NBA's future is so bright. Clay, this is what he's been saying in my mentions for a couple of years now. Clay, you have no idea what you're talking about. We're so popular on social media. The NBA is dominant. Then he goes and sells the vast majority of his team stake. Interesting move. Nobody's really called him on and on the media. Nobody's asked him to explain himself, but that's, I think, significant. Also, also on top of that now, Mark Cuban went on some podcast and said, X, Twitter, is no fun anymore. Oh, Elon Musk has ruined it because there's too much free speech. I would argue that, first of all, what a ridiculous position. I would argue that Mark Cuban is the sports version of Howard Stern. Some of you out there might be saying, okay, what do you mean by that, Clay? Howard Stern used to be the rebellious, iconoclastic voice of radio anti-wokeism. He was willing to break all the rules. He was willing to challenge conventional authority. He was a rebel against the prevailing tide of, uh, of political correctness. I think anyone who has read or studied Howard Stern's career in the 1990s, in the early 2000s, that's why he became probably a billionaire. I'm not kidding. He may be a billionaire now. That's why Howard Stern made so much money, because he cut through the noise and he was unlike anybody else. Mark Cuban was similar. When Mark Cuban bought the Dallas Mavericks a generation ago, after selling Broadcast.com at the absolute best possible point, I was a big fan of Mark Cuban. I respected the fact that he was a rebellious owner, that he challenged the authority of the NBA, that he was an unconventional thinker, that he was willing to zig when everybody else was zagging. I think that's why Mark Cuban had so much success. But both Cuban and Stern in the Trump era, corresponding also with the rise of social media, have become everything that they would have hated a generation ago. Howard Stern 2024 would have hated himself back in 1994 and in 2004. And Mark Cuban would have certainly hated himself back in the early 2000s. Now, those guys can say, oh, I've evolved. I'm a way better person than I am now. I actually just think this is what happens when you become super wealthy and you lose your willingness to take risk. You end up a part of the conventional wisdom and you become a blandly inoffensive version of the person that you used to be. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and the fact that Mark Cuban lives in this world, this bubble, where he thinks his arguments are intelligent and he absolutely gets ripped to the high heavens when he goes on social media and posts them, I think is indicative of the world in which billionaires live. There's very few people who ever tell a billionaire, you're wrong about this. When you have a certain level of success, and I try to govern and, 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 and protect myself on this too, when you have a certain level of success, you get surrounded by people who just tell you what they think you want to hear all day long, every day. And so I try to challenge myself and my opinions as aggressively or more aggressively than the person who is challenging me the most. I don't want to be surrounded by yes men. I want to make sure that I'm considering the full concept of all arguments that I make and that I understand the counter arguments as well or better than the people that would make them. I don't think Mark Cuban has that anymore. Uh, I think he has given up, as has Howard Stern, the ability to be a rebellious truth teller and instead has become a meek follower. What was once someone who didn't worry and look over his or her shoulder to see whether somebody was following them. Now Mark Cuban's constantly looking over his shoulder. Same thing for Howard Stern. It's disappointing to me because in general, I would think with more financial security should come more freedom. You may not agree with me and any of the opinions that I share on a daily basis. I have more freedom today financially to say whatever I think than at any point in my career. The real risk that I took was back in the early 2000s, back in the early 2010s, when I didn't have any money and people were trying to cancel me all the time. That was risky. Now, I don't have to work anymore. I could throw up the peace sign a couple of years right off into the sunset. I don't have to wake up at a certain time. I don't have to have a job. I have complete freedom to say exactly what I think now because I am uncancelable. No one can take me away from the audience that I have. I'm always going to be able to speak and say whatever I want. That's an incredible privilege. What's the point of having FU money if sometimes you aren't willing to say FU, which is a quote I first heard on uh, with Axelrod back in the day uh, on Billions. Why is it worth being a billionaire if you live in fear of offending people and you are no longer willing to say what you actually believe? I think it's a question that I would love for Mark Cuban or Howard Stern to actually answer. Unfortunately, I think they're two sides of the same coin. I, I was laughing. I was having some fun with this. A NFL draftee potential... Name is Taylor Owens, I believe, from Texas Tech. 
said in his interview today that he doesn't believe in space or other planets, that he is a flat earther, and they make a lot of good arguments. Um, Funny. Is it so dumb that you would be unwilling to draft him? I think this is such an interesting question. Could an NFL player who is otherwise talented have an opinion that you find to be so ridiculous that you say, we can't hire you to play the game of football? Like, if I were advising Taylor Owens, I would say, yeah, you know what? If you make a few Pro Bowls and you want to go full Kyrie Irving and say some crazy stuff, your talent speaks for you more than your opinions. I would think that would be probably the best advice that I could give. And I think the position matters some. If Caleb Williams was saying this, I think people would think differently than uh, this guy Taylor Owens. But I also think it actually crystallizes for me because the more I thought about it, eh, it's all about the tape. If I'm an NFL owner, I might think that it's crazy that you don't believe in space or other planets. But if I put the tape on and you're really talented, I got to be honest, I don't know that there's an opinion you could share, even one like this that is so dumb, I would say I don't think we could hire him to play college uh, to play NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball or the NHL this to me is one of the great lessons so long as your talent exceeds your problems you'll always be employed super dumb opinions don't impact in my mind whether you should be drafted or not it's all about your talent if this guy's a borderline guy Right? If it came down to, hey, we really can't tell the difference between this guy and another guy, I'd probably go with the guy who believed in space and planets. But if he's way better, if Caleb Williams came out and he said, hey, I think Jupiter's made up. I don't believe the planet Jupiter exists. You're like, wait a minute. You think like big red spot, everything having to do with Jupiter. I think they have a ring, right? Jupiter has a ring, not the rings like Saturn. But if he came out and, and Caleb Williams was like, I don't think Jupiter's there. I don't think Saturn there. I don't think that Mars is there. I don't even think that we orbit the sun. I think the earth is flat. Caleb Williams said it. I'd put in the tape and I'd watch him play at USC. I'd probably still draft him. I don't know that there is an opinion even one that is clearly wrong, even one that is crazy, that is so dumb that I would be unwilling to draft. It's a fun debate. You and your buddies are sitting around, and it is a leap day, and you're thinking of something. Is there an opinion that is so dumb that a super talented athlete could share it, and you would say, I can't draft them anymore? I don't think there is one. I think all that matters is your talent. Uh, All right. I want to tell you, uh, I told you this was coming. I told you I thought the Supreme Court would take the question of whether or not (laughs) Donald Trump acted within the scope of his presidential authority with the actions that he undertook surrounding January 6th, questioning the outcome of the 2020 election. That was announced yesterday after we finished this show. 
On April 22nd, they are hearing oral arguments. They will release the Supreme Court will an opinion by the end of June. I think this spells the end of the Hail Mary attempt to get the Jack Smith case in front of the D.C. jury. I think they're going to be super challenged to get the case in front of a Florida, South Florida jury. And I've already told you that I think Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, the prosecution from that duo, is effectively over in Atlanta. So I want to leave you uh, with an idea here. This may end up being, if the Alvin Bragg case is the only one that goes to trial, right now that's scheduled for uh, March 25th, I believe, when they would start to select the jury in New York City. If all they're able to put Trump on trial for in New York City is a bookkeeping allegation of misdemeanor for business records that they have elevated to a felony, this will be the biggest own goal in American political history. Because Democrats believed that by charging Trump Trump with crimes and trying to put him in jail with felony convictions, that they were going to guarantee Joe Biden a 2024 re-election. Instead, I think they have so miscalculated this that they have elevated Trump to the point where he's going to end up elected president. And if we were having the race now, it's eight months away, but if the race were being, voting was going on right now, I think Trump would win comfortably. Another set of swing states came out. Trump's got the lead in Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. Seven swing states. He only won one of those swing states in 2020. He's leading in six states that he lost. He's also doing really well in Maine. I told you for a while that my over-under was one trial complete. I think they're just going to get the Alvin Bragg case. And they have filed so many cases in New York City. Most people are confused. The E. Jean Carroll thing, uh, the trying to take away his business license, 350, 450 million, 88 million, all of these requirements of civil liability are going to get roped in with the criminal liability allegations of Alvin Bragg associated with bookkeeping charges. I still question whether he has the legal ability to bring these charges. Remember, if you go back in time when these charges were brought in New York City, even left-wing political analysts and legal analysts said these are garbage charges. And now... That might be the only case that is brought. I think the timing on the other three is virtually going to be impossible. This, to me, is an incredible own goal failure if, in reality, we end up with only the Alvin Bragg case. I think Trump, right now, eight months out, has to be considered a big favorite to the extent that Joe Biden is going to remain the nominee. Finally, my wife asked me this question My 16-year-old asked this question last night. We're sitting around the house, and they said, why do we make the leap day February 29th every four years? Good question. Great question, even. Why not make the leap day June 31st? 
why not make the leap day occur in a time of year when the weather is really good? Only 30 days in June. Why not stick with 28 for February and every four years make the leap day June 31st? I haven't heard a good answer for why that wouldn't be fantastic. Maybe it has something to do with the calendar historically, but I think for most people, if you were ranking months, February would be fairly far down the list unless you're a skier or a snowboarder or you absolutely love winter sports. I think February is pretty far down the list. People are ready for spring at this point. People are ready for March, March Madness, weather to start to get a little bit warmer. Why not give us an extra day in the summer instead of adding an extra day in the winter? Just trying to make the world a better place. Uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. My name is Clay Travis. This has been OutKick, the show.